Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Ultras Podcast where we talk about everything related to soccer from a fan's perspective. This is your host Al Basha and today we're going to be talking about the most important events and games that were played prior to the International FIFA Week. And also we're going to be talking about what to expect from the coming up games in the different leagues. As always, this is a reminder. If you're watching us through YouTube, to like, subscribe, and share and comment below and let us know how we did or if you have any suggestions for any future content. And also, if you're listening to us throughout your uh, favorite podcast platform, whether it be Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you can always follow us through those podcast platforms. Let's get started. Bayern Munich is in crisis. A lot of articles were written the last few weeks about Bayern Munich and how bad of a start they had in the Bundesliga this year in comparison to the last 10 years where they have been winning the league consecutively. Bayern Munich were only able to get 3 points out of 12 expected from the last 4 games after they tied against Moschlambach, Stuttgart and Union Berlin who were the top of the Bundesliga and their latest loss against Augsburg in the Bavarian Derby. Bayern Munich have been scoring a lot of the expected goals. 18.62 goals were expected for them to, uh, to be scored from the chances that they've been creating, and they scored 18. And 6.34 were expected to be scored against Bayern Munich, and, they, and 6 goals were scored against them. So, from the, from the numbers that we see, is that Bayern Munich are not really doing that bad. But when you watch the game, and you see the issues that Ningelsmann is having with his tactics who's similar to last year's tactics, you really see that the issues and how the same defensive issue that he had last year is also continuing this year. Bayern Munich mainly has three issues that they have to deal with in order to come back and bounce back to the Bundesliga. Defensively, offensively, and psychologically. First thing first, let's talk about defense. Now, we all know Bayern Munich's main issue was the fact that Lewandowski left Bayern Munich. And Lewandowski had been scoring big numbers. He had been the top scorer for Bayern Munich in all, across all competitions, whether it being the Cup, whether it being the Bundesliga, or whether it being the Champions League. And Bayern Munich built the team around Lewandowski. And Lewandowski was really good in um, bringing the ball, starting, starting the attack from the back and uh, creating chances as he moves forward. And that's how he was helping defensively. Now, if you watch the defense that Bayern Munich are going through, and their transition from offense to defense is really, really slow in comparison to the last few seasons. And that's what leaves all this wide space open for any other team to counterattack and to score against Bayern Munich. For anyone that followed Bayern Munich and the way they play, a lot of the, a lot of the goals that were scored against Bayern Munich were... Uh, from uh, from set pieces, whether it be in a corner or whether it be in a free kick. So a lot of times, when a team concedes goals throughout these events, whether it be in uh, whether it be in a free kick or a corner, it's because it has to do a lot of time with the, with, the, with the marking of players. If you didn't mark the right player, then that player would be wide open to score a header 
or to have the ball come to him and have have enough time to think of where to shoot the ball and score against uh, Bayern Munich. And that's mainly what Bayern Munich have been struggling with. And that is and that's their issue defensively. Now, when it comes to offense, it's pretty obvious that Sadio Mane, the new signing, that Bayern Munich are trying are trying to build the team around him are struggling to score. Now, Bayern Munich are playing greatly offensively. They're creating a lot of chances. Um, the fact that if those chances that were created, if Lewandowski was still with Bayern Munich, a lot of these chances would have been scored. Because by, because Lewandowski only needs, he only needs 0.25% of a chance for him to score real quick. But Sadio Mane, he's not a classical number nine. That's what Klopp tried to do last year. He tried to make him a number nine, uh, when, um, a, a number nine, and uh, and given him the freedom of moving from the wing to the offense. But he's not a classical number nine. Lewandowski is a classical number nine, and he he's talented in the fact that being the sec being a number ten, not just a classical number nine, he can also help out with the team defensively. He can uh, um, he can uh, he can assist. He can do more things than a classical number nine. And that's and that needs a little bit of more time for money to get used to with Ningelsmann tactic. Because Ningelsmann, since last year, he's been playing 4-2-3-1. So Ganabri, Muller, Sané in offense, they're used to dealing with the forward being Lewandowski. And that is the issue. And when you see all the chances that Bayern Munich gets in the box. In the 18 in the 18th yard box near the goal you would see that they're getting confused about who's going to shoot the ball and you would see them lacking a lot of these chances for anyone who watched uh, Bayern Munich uh, against Inter Milan and against um, Barcelona in Champions League they got a bit lucky with uh, Barcelona Barcelona not scoring a lot of the chances that they were getting and we know that the ball position was more with with uh, with Barcelona during that game and they created a lot of chances but Bayern Munich also created a lot of chances, but they only scored uh, two goals, one from set-piece and one from a creatively played from, uh, from Sané. But they also missed a lot of chances. If Lewandowski was still with Bayern, he would have scored those. And that is the biggest issue. So defensively, Ningelsmann have to come in and he really have to digest the issue and he has to fix it. But offensively, I think he needs a little bit of more time where Mane has to get used to playing with Sané, playing with Muller and play with Ganabri. And these three also have to get used to that. Lewandowski is normal with Bayern Munich. It is Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane is amazing when he plays as a winger, when he plays as a playmaker. But as a number nine, he does miss a lot of chances. But he does the job as well. We've seen it with Liverpool. But we can't really overwhelm expectations when it comes to Mane. He's not going to score nowhere near Lewandowski. But of course, saying that, we can't underestimate Sadio Mane because he's a... He's an amazing striker. He's an amazing player. Now, let's get to the last point about Bayern Munich. It's psychologically. Now, Bayern Munich won, won every single tournament that, that is available for them. They won the Champions League more than once in the last 10 years. They have won the Cup. And they won the league 10 years in a row. And there's no other club in the world that has done that. Or at least in the biggest five leagues. So, if you watch Bayern Munich and the way they play, as Muller stated, there is a little bit, there is, there, is, there is that 
kind of set mentality where players are not taking some of the games seriously. When they're playing all, when they're playing Stuttgart, when they're playing Mönchengladbach, when they're playing Union Berlin, these teams that are not playing as much in Champions League. So Bayern Munich, who beat beat PSG and Barcelona badly and beat a lot of the big teams, when they come into the Bundesliga and they see that the fact that they've been winning the last ten years, they would think that it's going to be you know an easy game, and um, they're going to be an easy win for them. But that, when that mentality kicks into the Bayern Munich player, uh, uh, Bayern Munich mentality, it is going to be an issue because, because psychologically, the other teams have already seen how Bayern Munich are going down, how they're losing points, and how they're even losing in the Bundesliga, and now they're fifth. So those teams are going to be motivated to play their best against Bayern Munich. Now the last question is: Bayern Munich are going to be facing Bayern Leverkusen who's in the 15th spot in the Bundesliga. Even though they're in the 15th spot, they're a team that beat Atletico Madrid 2-0. So they're already pumped and motivated to beat Bayern Munich to, to improve their position in the Bundesliga. Is Bayern Munich going to beat them? That is going to be the biggest question. And our next stop is Italy. Serie A, where Juventus, Inter Milan and AC Milan lost all of their games and Napoli won their game which happens to be against AC Milan and that is the game that we're gonna focus on today everyone was waiting for Napoli versus Milan especially that Milan has not lost a single game uh, this season and Napoli have not lost a game this season both of the teams had really good start in Champions League but Napoli had a better start getting all the six all the six points from the first two games in the Champions League campaign and not losing a single game in the Serie A where they are the top of the table. As expected, Napoli versus Milan was a very aggressive game where seven yellow cards occurred, 32 chances were created during that game, but most of those chances, were, which were 22 of them, were, was for AC Milan who lost that game, and only nine was for Napoli. The game started very aggressively in the first half uh, that ended nil-nil, but there was a lot of chances that Milan, lo uh, Milan missed from the first half. Giroud started uh, very strong with, uh, with, a, with a shot on the, on the crossbar in the 12th minute. Giroud, who's having an amazing start this year, scoring five goals in nine games, and who is two goals away from tying Thierry Henry's all-time top scorer, for France, France national team record. After that crossbar that Giroud missed, AC Milan continued on aggressively in the first half, which ended in nil, as we said. Second half is where all the goals occurred. And Napoli came in harder than the first half. They were press pressuring against uh, AC Milan. On his 52nd minute, Dest had tackled a Napoli player and uh, gave him a penalty where Politano, the uh, ex-Interista, scored the penalty and it was 1-0 for Napoli. AC Milan continued on aggressively until the 68th minute where Hernandez was running as usual from the left side of the field where today unfortunately at that game Unfortunately, Liao was missing. 
the left side which is stronger for AC Milan that has Tonali, Liao and Hernandez. Hernandez pulled off real strong and came in all the way from the back on the left side until the penalty box and crossed it low to Giro where he scored the tying goal and it was 1-1. Napoli continued on aggressively and AC Milan did the same until the 87th minute where Mario Rui had a nice cross to uh, Simeone and Simeone hit the header and scored in AC Milan's net and it was 2-1. AC Milan continued on aggressively and they had a lot of missing chances. In the 85th minute, Kololo also missed a chance by hitting the post. The game continued on aggressively all the way to the 96th minute, which Milan was also able to tie, but unfortunately they lost that game. Napoli continues on and with zero losses this season, and AC Milan, this loss won't really affect them. It's just a wake-up call to fix on tactics and to stop depending a lot on Liao, where it was pretty obvious that missing Liao in this game, uh, tactically it really affected Milan. On the left side where Tonali, Tonali was present and Hernandez, it was strong, but Liao was missing. Uh, Kronich could not do the job on that side. AC Milan have to really think about signing a good player in the coming up transfer window, especially that the World Cup is coming up. A lot of stars are gonna uh, come up in the World Cup and AC Milan are only gonna play a handful amount of games before the World Cup and they're gonna be able to have a signing after December and strengthen their squad for Champions League campaign and defending their league title. And now we get to the most important game of that weekend I would say the most important game in the world that everyone was waiting for, Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid. Other than the fact that it's the uh, Madrid derby, other than the fact that Atletico Madrid are having a bad start of the season, losing in the Champions League and not performing well in the La Liga, and other than the fact that Real Madrid had a strong start of the season, winning eight games with zero losses and zero ties, coming into the ninth game, which of course they ended up winning, the most important reason or the most important event that happened prior to the game that hyped up this game was what happened with Vinicius Jr. Let me tell you that story before jumping into this game. So, the story starts with an interview in a Spanish TV done by, where, uh, done by Pedro Bravo. Pedro Bravo is a football agent. He is the president of all Spanish football agents in Spain. He was interviewed and he was talking about how dancing after scoring a goal is offensive to the opponents of those games. And he was specifically talking about the samba dance, which is a Brazilian famous Brazilian dance. And he specifically pointed at Vinicius Jr. Everything till now is cool. Now, he goes on and he describes Vinicius Jr. as a monkey that dances. After those words were said by Pedro Bravo, the whole world went crazy. Of course, we know that Vinicius Jr. is a black Brazilian. We know that. What does it mean when they call a black person monkey? 
I don't want to even jump into the description of the whole history behind it, but I think all of you guys know and understand what, what it means to call a black person a monkey. Now, Pedro Bravo did, uh, did go back and apologize the next day of these uh, words that he shared or his thoughts, that he, his racist thoughts that he shared in national TV in Spain, but it was too late. All the Brazilian players around the world who, were, who started scoring after, after they heard uh, Pedro Bravo's uh, uh, interview, they started dancing the samba, dances after every goal celebration, whether it be in the La Liga or the English Premier League by Richardson, uh, P. Diddy and a lot of other black artists uh, around the world, uh, you know, shared, shared uh, posts and words uh, in support of Benitez Jr. And everyone was waiting for this game to see what was going to happen? Are we going to see Vinicius Jr. dance or no? So, all this led to this derby. The derby was a very strong game, very aggressive, as usual, as expected. In this game, we see that Ancelotti tried to play Rodrigo from the start, from, from the first minute, and he put Rodrigo in, in Benzema's spot, which is the number nine. And I think it was always a good idea to try that instead of Hazard. So Valverde and, um, and uh, Vinicius Jr. on each side on the wingers and the forward and Rodrigo as a number nine. Unlike other games where Diego Simeone comes, comes in and plays a little bit of a balanced game or more defensively, we see that Atletico Madrid in this game, they played aggressive. They were they were very uh, tough team uh, to beat. We see a lot of missed chances by Atletico Madrid. And all those missed chances were not enough for Atletico Madrid to score in the first half. And instead, Real Madrid scored in the first 36 minutes. In the 18th minute, we see Chouamini coming in through the middle with a nice overpass to Rodrigo. Rodrigo with one touch shoots it and scores a nice goal on Oblak's net. And after Rodrigo scored that goal, as a Brazilian player, we know what was coming. Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr. went to the side and started dancing samba as a response to Pedro Bravo. The game continued on aggressively from Atletico Madrid by uh, Griezmann losing uh, chances, Condogbia losing chances, um, Carrasco losing chances and missing, uh, but all the time, most, most of the time, it was um, Courtois saving Real Madrid as always. Until the 36th minute, Modric comes from the left side, goes in, um, goes in one-two with uh, Vinicius Jr. Vinicius gets the ball, passes it to Modric. Modric sees an open space where Vinicius Jr. was going through. Vinicius runs with the ball after Modric's pass, goes in, shoots it. It hits the post and it gets to who? It gets to Valverde with an open net and Valverde scores that goal and it was 2-0. Very nicely done. Modric with world-class uh, passing. It was Modric that opened up that attack. Real Madrid 2, Atletico Madrid 0. And that was the end, until the end of the first half. Second half, Atletico Madrid picks up even a higher momentum. They go into the next level. They come in aggressively and they were 
going back and forth, going back and forth, and they couldn't even score against uh, Real Madrid until, until who? Until this 72nd minute, which I think the most important event happened at that moment when Hermoso center back, the Spanish center back coming in for Atletico Madrid instead of Carrasco. So Hermoso, who comes in in the 72nd minute, 10 minutes later, a corner from Griezmann, it hits, by accident, hits Hermoso's shoulder, and he scores the first goal for Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid picks up the momentum, tries it, they're trying to tie the game in less than 10 minutes towards the end of the first, uh, second half, and that is when the real drama of the game starts. Ronaldo, the... Uh, Atletico Madrid defender was going back with the ball towards the Atletico Madrid uh, half of that field. Carvajal was following him and he fouled him to waste some time and to distract Atletico, Atletico Madrid players from focusing on scoring the second goal to tie them to tie with Real Madrid. After Carvajal fouling Ronaldo, he received a booking. You see the yellow card, but Hermoso got involved in it and he wanted to fight Carvajal and in that moment the referee gave him the first yellow card. After the 88th minute, three minutes later on the 91st minute, Griezmann delivers uh, a corner kick but then surprisingly the referee gives the second yellow to Hermoso and Hermoso receives a, um, a red card and Atletico Madrid are only with left with only with 10 players. Now Hermoso, looking back at the VAR, Hermoso was, looked like he was pushing Ceballos, but it wasn't even a push. It was so unnecessary yellow card. That yellow card could have been avoided if the referee went back to the VAR, but unfortunately he didn't, and Hermoso received a second booking, and they remained with 10 players already. All, all of the Atletico Madrid's attention was already corrupted. They were not able to focus on that game. And Real Madrid ended up winning that game, of course, as we know. And Real Madrid remains the only team in the first and the top five leagues in Europe with zero losses and zero ties, and they won all of their nine games. We'll wait and see how long this winning streak is going to uh, continue for Real Madrid. Real Madrid does have some issues uh, when it comes to... Uh, uh, their forward and replacement for uh, Benzema, it looks like Ancelotti is trying to solve it with Rodrigo. Uh, we're going to see if Ancelotti is going to continue on with the same tactics in the coming up game in, uh, in this coming up weekend. But Real Madrid are arguably the best team in Europe so far in terms of results and in terms of performance and how relaxed they're playing as a team. Well, that's all I have for today for you guys. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. Adios.